to jam on the roof and go around church. And that is, if God already knows who will be saved, then do we have a genuine choice? Uh, This is a great question, and I think if I had to rate all of the common questions that we get in question time over the last few years, it's it's this question or a very similar one that probably would be at the top of the list. And it's a really important question. And I think it's so common because we find it hard to hold two biblical facts together. The Bible is very, very clear that God is completely in control of absolutely everything, totally everything. And so that means also that he's in control of who it is that he's going to save. And he makes that happen. He chooses us and he makes that happen. On the other hand, we're told in the Bible that humans are fully responsible for their decision to accept or reject God and for all the consequences that follow. That's totally clear as well. And so you've got these two things and you think, "Ah, how does that actually work, that the two could be both together? It doesn't, in a sense, naturally sit well with us. Well, the late, great J.I. Packer wrote in his uh, famous book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, some terrific things. The whole book's on this question. Why bother evangelising? Why bother telling people about Jesus if God's sovereign? Why bother? The whole book's written on it. It's a great book. If you haven't got it or haven't read it, I tell you, it's got to be one of the ones you've got to read. But one of the things I remembered as I was preparing the answer to this question, one of the things I remember reading was he said that when we are praying we actually show that we're comfortable with both of these truths. It's really interesting. You see, we, when we pray for a friend who doesn't yet know the Lord Jesus, what do we pray? We pray, dear Lord, would you please make them a Christian? We really want you to draw them to yourself. We want you to, to bring them to yourself so that they will have the same assurance in eternal life, that they'll be friends with Jesus. Please would you do that, Lord? And at the same time, we're very happy to to say to God, I'm really sorry for my sins that I know that I've done. I'm guilty of them. I'm responsible for them. And so in one breath almost, we can pray things that show that we totally believe that God's in control of everything and that we realise that we're responsible for what we do ourselves. Both of those are true. And so if you find this hard to believe... Well, two things. Read your Bible more, because you keep seeing both loud and clear. And secondly, spend more time on your knees. The more we pray, the more we understand who God is, and we just reflect it naturally. It's a really good question, though. And here's an interesting one. What does the word Yahweh mean, and what language does it come from? Anyone ever heard the word Yahweh before? Give me a little bit of a sort of a, a nod. Yeah, quite a few of you. Yeah, the question person, a person who asked the question actually said, "Is it Egyptian?" Well, kind of close. It's actually uh, from the Hebrew language, which most of the Old Testament was written in its original language. Um, so I'm going to get a bit nerdy for about a minute. So if you if you're bored, just just sort of think about what you're going to have for dinner. But otherwise, hold on tight because I think you might be interested. Uh, this is the name, basically, that is the personal name for God, Yahweh. But the story of that name is quite interesting. In the, in the Hebrew language, there are no vowels. Now, what's a vowel? Can anyone tell me what the five vowels are? Okay, imagine the English language didn't have any vowels at all. It'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? So if you were to say the word book, how many letters would there be? Two. B and K. Or if you're going to say the name um, James, you'd say J-M-S. It's kind of a bit like that in the Old Testament. Now, the people who spoke Hebrew in their natural language, they'd see J-M-S and they'd say, oh, that's James, and they'd just say it. It was just natural to them, which is all kind of nice. 
But later in history, a bunch of people said, look, to make it much easier for people in Jamboree in 2021 who are reading their Hebrew, we'll put lots of little dots and dashes around those, those vowels, uh, sorry, the, the, uh, the consonants, so that you'll know what the pronunciation is. Anyway, huh, what does this all mean for us? Well, the point is that uh, the name Yahweh is interesting because God's Old Testament people chose not to ever actually say it. They didn't want to say the name Yahweh. Now, why not? Well, it's because they were, they were a little bit worried that they might somehow use the Lord's name in vain. You know how the commandment says, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain? It's like, all right, that's easy. We won't say Yahweh. We'll be fine. And some of them said, okay, well, instead of Yahweh, what we'll do is we'll say Adonai, which is the Hebrew word for the Lord or my Lord. And if they were super spiritual, they'd just say Hashem, which is the name. And so they'd say, the name said, I forgive you. Or the name said, go my people or whatever. So the problem is, because no one said it, we don't really know exactly what it is. So it could be, so it's actually just Yehovah. So is that Yahweh? Or it could be Jehovah. But what does that all mean? Well, it helps in Bible trivia, probably. You can press your friends. Uh, But you know when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am? And remember when Moses stood before the Lord in the burning bush and he says, well, when I tell people what your name is, what will I say? He said, I am has sent you. And what's that got to do with it? Well, the Hebrew word for I am and Yahweh are almost the same. And so when Abraham, when Moses got up, sorry, when Jesus got up and said, before Abraham was, I am, they said, oh, you're saying you're Yahweh, whatever that word is. Lots of fun facts. You can talk to me about that over dinner. And if you were sort of tuning out, welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, Two more questions. Why do we use the NLT Bible in our church? That's a good question, isn't it? Uh, You may have noticed if your Bible that you normally use is the NIV or the... Uh, what else, the ESV or the Holman Christian Standard Bible? Or why, why do we choose the NLT here? Well, the, the reason is that we always have, it seems, like for, for many, many years. And when I came here, I thought, oh, that's not my normal Bible. I, I'm more comfortable with the NIV Bible that I've grown up with. Uh, but after a while, I thought, well, I'll stick with it for a little while. And I, was, and I had a good look at it. And I had a really particularly, uh, I read the introduction that listed all of the names of the people who were the supervising translators. And I thought, hang on, these are the same guys who have been, trans, who have been writing the commentaries that I've been, writing, I've been using for the sermons. So I thought, I reckon I'll give this a fly. And I preached from it and thought, it's pretty accurate. And the tricky thing with with Bibles is you're not going to get a Bible that is perfectly accurate because you've got one language being translated into another. And they're either going to be very, very rigid or they're going to be easier to read but maybe not as accurate. So it's all a bit of a compromise. So I reckon what you should do is what I do. When I'm preparing the talks and stuff, I've got the NLT there and I've got the NIV there and I've got, usually I've got the Greek or the Hebrew there. Um, You don't need to do that. But if you have different translations there around, that can also be a good way of doing reading of the Bible because you you get to to read things that way. And then finally, related to that, is how how are our church Bible readings selected? I wonder if you've noticed that, that we we have three different readings from the Bible, uh, plus the Psalms. Why are we doing those particular ones? Well, 
What we do in our church here is we have a fair bit of Bible. We're a pretty Bible-full church. We'll say some stuff from the Bible, like we did with the Psalms together, and then we'll have a reading from the Old Testament and from the New Testament, and then we'll even have one of the readings from the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then often we'll read or teach something from the Bible that's another part of the Bible. So we've got so much Bible. But what we've been doing since, the, uh, since last year is we've been using the three readings that have come from the prayer book, the Anglican prayer book. Over a three-year cycle, there are 52 times three lots of readings that kind of give you a sort of a, um, uh, maybe the classic hits or the best of or sort of thing. Now, all the Bible's awesome. And we, if we had enough time, we'd read it all from start to finish every Saturday night. But we'd probably get pretty hungry. Uh, But what we're doing is we're just getting a little bit here and there, and the three of the readings tend to be on the same sort of theme, even with the Psalms as well. So that's a challenge to to try and work that out. Uh, But what we're wanting to do is get familiar with the Bible, get familiar with the Bible, which is why we'd love to have the Bible read as we come together. Thanks for listening to Jamaloo and the Lane Trip.